0: You're listening to Fly by Night, a podcast by FedEx pilots for FedEx pilots, brought to you by the FedEx Master Executive Council of the Airline Pilots Association. And now, here's your host, MEC Communications Chair, Captain Chris Lee.
1: Welcome to our TA podcast series. Each podcast episode will begin with Negotiating Committee Chair Captain Pat May's overview of the process on how the opener goals were established and how we got to where we are now. After that, Each podcast will then focus on one section of the TA. Pat, talk to the pilots about this process and how we got to where we are now.
0: Yeah, Chris, what's important for the pilots to understand as we present the information to them throughout these podcasts and other items of education is how we got here. The openers were developed by the MEC in conjunction and coordination with the negotiating committee, but we didn't pull these items out of thin air. They came and were driven by direct pilot input. So this is a pilot-driven contract from beginning to end. First and foremost of those pieces of information were the pilot surveys. We have surveyed the pilots continuously since beginning in 2019. Every six to eight months, those pilot surveys have been statistically significant, and it's informed the MEC on what the openers were and what level of focus our pilots wanted to have. Not only was it surveys though, we also relied heavily on pilot DART reports, direct emails to contract enforcement, actual contract enforcement cases, grievances, subject matter expert input from our key committees. And finally, the MEC took all this information and we stepped through a very systematic process to highlight and identify the openers for negotiation. So this has been pilot driven from beginning to end. And that's what informed us on the openers and also established the goals that are laid out in the opener.
1: Thanks, Pat. In this episode of our TA podcast series, we're going to focus on Section 4, Minimum Guarantees and Other Pay Provisions. And joining Pat today is Negotiating Committee Member, Captain Rich Brown, and Scheduling Committee Member, Captain Ted Donett. Thanks for coming. Pat, what was the main purpose for the company wanting to open Section 4? Yeah, Chris,
0: happy to talk about that. I just wanted to remind the pilots that we didn't specifically open Section 4. We had items that were encapsulated in Section 25, and because of the connection back and forth where Section 25 creates the rules, Section 4 really is how it's paid. With that, though, it's important to point out to the pilots that we had some large concerns on the company's opener, their proposals, and there's a theme here, and you'll hear it on the podcasts. While the company didn't publish their opener, it's important for the pilots to know that they seemed intent on eliminating inefficiencies that they identified early on in the process. You know, and there were some other low-level items in there. They wanted to codify current processes to provide clarification, which obviously those were fairly minimal, but they also wanted to add new concepts related to minimizing pilot flexibility regarding scheduling. So those sent off warning flags to us, you know, when we saw their initial opener proposal. Initially they proposed very problematic language. The largest concern was a proposal that would have required meeting minimum number of credit hours at straight time in volunteer, draft and CMU. So all of those items. In addition that was coupled with another large and very potentially disruptive proposal which would have allowed flight surges in an individual seat in a bid pack in a base that would have increased the minimum bid period guarantee the MBPG, which would have had the effect of reducing minimum days off. That was very problematic for us. We were not interested, nor were we were going to counter that language, but we did have to work through company proposals that did that very thing.
1: Can you talk about what we ended up proposing and achieving as a result of the company opening Section 4?
0: Yeah, Chris, so just kind of high level right now, because they're not specifically in our opener, Some of the things we were able to achieve as a result of our bargaining with the company in Section 4 were really good for the pilots, namely the disruption compensation, which is additional disruption compensation compared to today. We also added some new disruptions. And again, this was a result of direct and immediate feedback from the pilots with the disruptions that have been going on as it relates to the COVID flying. We were able to kind of close some of the loopholes on PNP, and we'll discuss that a little bit further in depth we were able to totally avoid any reduction in the volunteer draft and CMU pay. We did work with the company on AVA, but again, we've maintained that these are issues that the pilots can control themselves. We keep the pilots in the driver's seat on it. So for AVA, as we'll discuss, you'll see there's three tiers now, and we'll get into that.
2: But there's some wins in here, even with the AVA restrictions that are now going to be in place. That's right, Pat. In addition to those things, we were also able to codify the hotel standby pay that's been being used for several years now, but it wasn't uh, actually in the contract. We wanted to make sure that that system was kept in place, so we codified that method. And the last thing we were able to do is establish an objective criteria for pay when you have to come back for a landing currency So
1: Well, let's talk about the landing currency training and the changes. What can you tell the pilots about
2: that? Sure, Chris. So basically the issue here started out as a grievance with the company not paying uh, the 4.5 credit hours that some pilots when they came back to maintain their currency. And we wanted to take that issue over from grievance since we were in Section 6 negotiations and uh, craft a solution with an objective criteria for paying people when they do have to come back to maintain currency. Basically, the solution we came up with was that if you had not used a landing currency sim within the prior 90 days and you're approved for your sim, then you would get paid the 4.5 credit hours. If you have used a sim in the past 90 days, then the pay is at the discretion of the fleet captain.
0: One thing I'd add to that explanation is we also excluded in that the look back to exclude the CQ cycle. So if a pilot's in there for CQ, whether it's the 9 or 18 month, If they're trying to determine landing currency, the company can't look back to that and say that was used for your LCT. So you could actually go much further beyond the 90 days you're really getting out to the 90 days plus the look back. That excludes the the simulator.
1: Ted, for a hotel standby pairing, did the calculation of the guarantee change? No, Chris, nothing changed in the way that the company is currently paying hotel
3: standbys. We codified the practice to where they are paying the higher of the R-day value or the higher of the time away from base calculation. Under the current agreement, it had only paid for the R-day value, but this change will ensure that our pilots gets the higher of the two methods of payment.
0: Yeah, it was more of a clarification, Chris, in the CBA. The CBA stipulates that it's paid on R-day value. That isn't what was occurring in practical reality. The company was paying the greater the two. We just codified it here with this language change.
1: Well, what about how overage is calculated when I'm launched on a base hotel standby?
2: Well, Chris, that's basically the same thing there. We haven't changed anything as far as how that's paid. The new language is just a codification of how the system actually works.
0: So an overage here in this case, if you get launched on a trip, what's clear now is that overages are based off the trip that you're launched on. That was kind of up in the air or questionable for a pilot trying to determine any overages being launched out of a hotel standby.
3: So for example, Pat, if you're on your last day of hotel standby, they assign you a trip that goes into one of your days off. The overage will then be based off of that trip. So if you're now on your first day off and then get extended again, that's when you'll receive the overage, but you won't receive any overage for working that first day off.
0: That's exactly right, Ted.
1: Thanks. You mentioned your volunteer and draft concerns and the company's openers and their approach to inefficiencies, and then later on talked about changes to AVA. How did that come about?
0: Yeah, Chris, let me go back and remind pilots again about the company opener here. And I'm going to read directly from the opener that the company presented us with when negotiations began. And they highlighted to modify to pay Volunteer draft CMU at straight time until the pilot has earned a minimum number of credit hours in a bid period. So that was identified early on, and it was extremely problematic for us that they were going to take this, I would call a very drastic approach, to reduce or eliminate what they viewed as inefficiencies. We had a lot of discussion back and forth that this was driven by staffing. Staffing problems created by the company that they were behind on staffing and that they were frustrated with the amount of AVA draft and volunteer that they were paying. So we continued through negotiations and we were able to eventually pull away from and separate AVA from volunteer. The company initially had driven AVA into volunteer. In other words, creating a single silo of pay and fixes for that issue. What we did was we pulled volunteer back out, we pulled draft and CMU out, we excluded those from the discussions entirely, and then our negotiations were able to solely focus on an AVA fix that we thought would be acceptable to the
2: pilots. One of the reasons we thought that was AVA historically has not been available that much, although in the last couple of years with the COVID world, we've seen quite a bit of it, we expect those numbers to drop considerably as we move forward and this would be a very limited fix for the company. And like Pat said, the, uh, the 150% pay premium for draft and volunteer and the rules for those things are exactly the same as they've always been.
0: And the way volunteer and AVA are doled out is different. I mean, AVA is specifically identified when they're doing voluntary vacation cancellation. So a pilot has the ability then to go in and identify a trip seven days in advance and select an AVA trip. So that's really where we've spent our focus Um, And we were able to come to a solution by adapting the company's issue and then creating essentially three tiers of pay for AVA. And if you look at the pilot's schedule, typically if a pilot's picking up AVA, then they've also sold back vacation. And from the data that we've looked at, the pilots are traditionally flying well above their bid line guarantee, never mind the minimum bid period guarantee. So the three tiers of pay on it are 100, 150% and 175% now.
3: So, Pat, just kind of a high-level overview of how this works. If, for instance, you have a four-week bid month, you have a 68-hour minimum, and you get your line and don't make any adjustments, if you go out and pick up an AVA trip, you'll be paid 175% for that trip. Now, if you start your month below the min bid period guarantee, say 60 hours, and you go out and pick up some trips at AVA, those trips will pay 100% until those first eight hours, until you hit the 68-hour threshold, and then you'll be paid at 150% for that AVA.
0: Yeah, and as a reminder, too, the minimum bid period guarantee depends on if you're in a four-week or five-week, In the TED scenario it was a four-week, so in a four-week min bid period guarantee is 68, and in a five-week, it's 85.
1: Ted, you said when you start your month, what designates when you start your month? For
3: line holders and reserve line holders, that's after the view ad window closes. For secondary line holders, that's going to be after secondary lines are published.
2: So just to make sure it's crystal clear, there's two parts to this calculation for getting how much your AVA would be paid. The two components are that initial amount that's on your line, either at the end of the view ad window or when you receive your finalized secondary line. And the second one is how much you actually flew at the end of the month, how many earned credit hours you have. Those earned credit hours are uh, any hours that are included in units of work performed, including pay only, or from which you are removed with pay. So anything is removed for sick, removed for vacation, anything that you actually fly, anything that you pick up, including draft and volunteer, all count towards that earned credit hours. And as long as you start the month above mid-bid period guarantee and finish the month with mid-bid period guarantee earned credit hours, then all of your AVA will be paid at 175%. So Rich mentioned earned credit
0: hours and the vast majority of the things pilots do on any given month will count towards achieving those hours when the look back occurs. The pilots, I'm sure, are interested in what isn't included, so what's excluded from the earned credit hours, and the TA document has a list of all those items, so there's no confusion there. But just to give you an example of a couple of the items that are excluded from the earned credit hours, things such as LMS, or when we've had LOA or MOU, kind of disruption-like penalties like the medical measures MOU, those are the types of things that are excluded from the earned credit hours.
1: Ted, you mentioned that the measurement begins at the end of the view-add window, and in your example, the pilot was above min bid period guarantee. What circumstances would you see where a pilot could potentially have less than min bid period guarantee after the view ad window closes?
3: If somebody had a carry-in trip and it conflicted with the trip in the next bid month and they did not pick up trips during the view ad window, if there was training that conflicted with the trip and they did not pick up a trip during the view ad window. That would be a reason that somebody would have less than min bid period guarantee when the next month started. So, Chris, even if somebody started the month with less than 68 credit hours in a four-week bid month, they can still build themselves up to that 68 hours by picking up trips, and then they'll be able to receive 150% for their AVA trips.
0: Yeah, Ted, that's right. And in addition to that, just keep in mind, again, that the traditional current agreement with volunteering draft at 150% has not changed this paradigm at all for the pilots. So if the pilot is building up their line, regardless of what they build it up to, if the company calls and offers them a draft trip, regardless of what's on their line, they're still going to get paid 150% for the draft trip. If a pilot volunteers for a trip, and they're still going to get paid 150%. There is no test of min bid period guarantee or any other credit hour for
2: that matter. And those credit hours that you earn on those draft and volunteer trips count as earned credit hours when it comes to the computation for your AVA, although the credit hours don't include the premium on the payment. It's just the number of credit hours that you fly as a draft or volunteer. Chris, I know it's a paradigm shift for us. There's clearly movement
0: that we provided here for the company to address some of their efficiency concerns. I think we did it in a very unique way, and I think we did it in a way that the vast majority of pilots will see value and and figure out how to achieve that value, that higher 175% if pilots are willing to go and do the extra flying. But all that said, it's complicated. We'll have additional details. What we've also provided is a flow chart for pilots to look at to kind of step through, and we'll also provide some real-life examples of these calculations.
1: Ted, has anything changed with PMP in Section 4? Yes, Chris. First off,
3: PNP will not be continuing indefinitely. You have to use your PNP in the month in which you become eligible or the month after which you become eligible. After that, it will revert to general makeup. The other change is that if you pick up a trip using PNP and then drop that trip, those hours will then also revert to general makeup.
0: Yeah, Chris, some of the pilot's Maybe wondering why we delved into the world of PNP. We have pilots clearly that like the priority non-premium aspect that was negotiated back in 2015. However, we did receive a number of negative comments about the use and the manner in which PNP has been utilized. That survey information along with input directly by the MEC caused us to take some time and try and further refine PNP. It was a further modification of PMP so that the pilots that do enjoy it, there's not that much of a change. And and for the folks that thought it was too broad in its reach, we reined that in. So I think we have a pretty reasonable fix that addresses both sides of this coin.
1: So talking about critical pay events, did we agree to other intermediate stop locations that do not pay the 1.5 credit hours?
0: Yeah, Chris, the critical pay period events was identified and negotiated in the contract to recognize those periods that we referred to as drools. And that's really critical periods where the pilots have a, a sit in between two operating legs. And really it was identified in areas where there's a lack of sleep facilities or adequate sleep facilities. So the company, really, with this change, memorialized what was already going on in Greensboro. And we agreed to add liage to the list. So the hour-and-a-half pay, the additional pay now, would not be credited toward that Liege turn.
2: That's right, Pat. The big reason that we were willing to do that is that this critical pay event is about the drool time, and the company was able to show us that the rest facilities available in GSO and LGG will allow the pilots to get the rest that we feel that they need so this uh, critical pay event was no longer needed there.
1: Has anything changed with disruptions in Section 4?
2: Yes, Chris. There were uh, several changes and disruptions. This is an area that uh, obviously in the in this last couple years with the number of revisions has become a kind of a hot button issue. So it was very important to us to come up with some changes and disruptions. We'll get into exactly what the disruption changes were more in Section 25. But just really briefly, we were able to add two disruptions, one for the removal of a front-end deadhead. Uh, and we were also able to add a day to critical disruption as far as changing a trip from day legs to ones that touch the critical period. And then we were able to increase payments for the first landing, which will now be an hour and a half instead of a half hour. And we were able to uh, increase the payments and change how layover disruptions are triggered.
1: Well, Ted, Rich, and Pat, thanks for coming. Any final thoughts on section four?
0: Well, Chris, thanks for having us. You know, in light of the company's initial proposal, and what they were digging into in terms of efficiencies and really forcing pilots into kind of this paradigm of flying more or flying at 100% across the board until you reached a certain credit hour. It was a very problematic start to Section 4. But in the end, we were able to achieve some good improvements, which we highlighted here, the disruptions, the additional disruptions in the disruption credit hour improvements. And we found some common ground, I think, on the real problematic areas that the company wanted to seek a solution on, such as ABA. So at the end result, overall, we maintained the quality of life for the pilots. We kept the pilots in the driver's seat in terms of the pilots' ability to decide what's in their best interest, rather than forcing new flying on the pilots and reducing, say, minimum days off in the month. Again, it's all about maintaining the pilot's quality of life and their ability to make decisions about their schedule.
1: Thanks again. And thanks for listening to this episode of our TA podcast on Section 4, Minimum Guarantees, and Other Pay Provisions. Throughout this process, you can get the most factual information at our TA website, fdxta.com. There you'll find the actual TA document, TA highlights, videos, these podcasts, and other information. Once again, thanks for listening, and as always, be safe out there, and we'll see you next time.